This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. And welcome to episode 368 of the Yellow Wild Pod. I'm your host Stefan Butzko and today we will talk about Dortmund's 2-0 win over Hertha Berlin, the signing of 17-year-old defender Sumalia Kulibali from PSG and we will preview Saturday's game against the Erste Fußball Club Köln. For that and more joins me Matthias Zug. Hello Matthias, how are you doing on this uh, rainy Thursday here in Philly? Well, I'm doing quite well, Stefan, here on this bluebird sky <laughs> Colorado morning. Um, always always good to chat. And, and I'll be honest, it's nice to only chat about one review and one preview and not doing like what seems five games in one episode. So I'm looking forward to that. Without any further ado, let's uh, just dive right in, into the Hertha win. Royce Plant on the outside. It's all a little tight. Brandt's gone for it on his own. Oh, Brandt scores a missile to put Dortmund in front out of absolute nowhere. He teed it up, he chose his spot, and a goalkeeper who made a world-class save in the first half has made a bit of a world-class blunder there. How did that get past him? Harlan couldn't take the ball with him. Makoko can, though. He wants to go all the way. That's what he likes to do, because he's very, very good at it. Yusufa Mokoko scores his third goal of the season. I think that was a very enjoyable game to watch in the sense that after a Champions League game against Sevilla, which is a highlight match for Dortmund, that they sort of cruised to win against the team from the neither regions of the Bundesliga, Julian Brandt scoring in the 54th minute and then Yusuf Mukoko putting the lid on in the first minute of stoppage time. Obviously, the third goal for Mukoko, as uh, the commentator just said, and Julian Brandt scoring his second goal. A uh, bit lucky maybe that Rune Jahrstein was a bit surprised by the swerve of the ball, but Matthias, I expected more excitement from the guests. Yeah, I mean, if we put in a, inject a little bit of a German lesson here, Hertha hat nicht stattgefunden. <laughs> so Hertha did not take place. They just, they, I mean, they were there physically. Obviously, Marco Reus can attest to the fact that they were physically there. But other than that, they weren't really there. I mean, all the stats, I mean, Dortmund had 72% possession. Hertha had, depending on which site you look at, either three or four shots, but not a single one on target. Every shot came from outside the area. They had no corners and they played 500 less passes than Dortmund, but almost as many long balls. I mean, it, they just, in Paldada, I was like, well, the first half was okay, but the second half was really bad. And the, what I like about Paldada is sometimes he's quite honest in his assessment. And he says, you know, oh, we totally deserve to lose this one. That was, that was abject. There was just nothing there. And, there's, I mean, it was beyond passive. I mean, we, we can't even say that they 
defended vehemently like say Augsburg earlier in the season or some other low block teams that Dortmund had difficulties against they just they were just I don't even know I mean yes they were there but that's about all you can say about them I was very surprised that they were that passive I thought there would be a little bit more pushing Dortmund knowing that Dortmund has tired legs can't rotate a ton uh, and had a very emotionally and physically draining match against Sevilla, and they just didn't take advantage of that. I think if Hatta is still in the Esta Bundesliga and Paladada is still the manager next season, in the similar type of scenario, we're going to probably see a more aggressive Hatta. But uh, at this point, I think it's very much up in the air uh, whether or not they join Schalke in the second Bundesliga next season, uh, because... They need to do much better. And you can go to Dortmund and lose. I mean, that's what everybody always says. You can go to Dortmund and lose. You can go to Bayern and lose. But there's a way of losing. And this was just... I, I think Pal Dardai once was the manager that quoted the term, you know, was talking about menafusball, you know, men's football. I don't know what this was, but I don't think that quite <laughs> lived up to his expectations, to say the least. Yeah, I think that was the least courageous appearance of a side in the Westfalenstadion this season. Um, the lack of anything from Hertha going forward was just shocking. But at the same time, I mean, Dortmund uh, did rather well to win the ball back. I mean, they had the midfield of uh, Daoud and uh, Bellingham in front of that. They had Julian Brandt. Um, and I thought uh, they did rather well, especially Jude Bellingham. I think he's grabbing a lot of headlines right now, deservedly so. To me, once again, maybe a man of the match candidate, just because uh, the uh, the absolute uh, um, hustle he's showing and uh, he's making it really tough for opponents to um, yeah un unfold and unfurl. And a lot of uh, would-be chances that Hertha could have had uh, were extinguished by Bellingham and his ilk. So, um, yeah, defensively, I think Dortmund can be very happy with that. Um, the uh, info goal app uh, <laughs> had an expected goal value for uh, Hertha of 0 0.09, <laughs> which I found quite funny. Uh, I think the Bundesliga had a value of 0.7 for Hertha, which I didn't quite get in FB Ref. The stats bomb uh, stats is at 0.4. Um, so yeah, from the uh, four shots that Hertha had, or, or three, or however many, um, two were blocked as well. Um, so yeah, I don't really uh, remember too many uh, instances where Hertha were really dangerous. I think there was one moment where they could have maybe had something. I don't know if it was the middle shed chance in the 24th minute or something like that, but otherwise... That was it was just bad. And and Dortmund, I think, played the perfect game after the Champions League quarter of uh, quarterfinal qualification. That you just play very professional ball, very serene, very mature. I think they uh uh didn't lose their cool, they were very patient. I mean it's not the most beautiful game to watch, but I think um you don't need uh you know your your heartbeat rate to uh go into into the sky you just uh, want to watch a very calm game and uh, yeah Dortmund did just that so I'm I'm really content with it and uh, <laughs> it was interesting that um, Terzic after the game explained Dortmund's tactic a little bit because uh, I was um, 
wondering during the game why Erling Haaland was so quiet because in the Champions League obviously uh, he shows an entirely different uh, posture I would even say and this time he looked a bit tired a bit uh, abject even and uh, he explained after the game that it was sort of Dortmund's plan to basically have him just stand around up front and bind three Hatter players and open up the spaces for for the uh, fullbacks and especially also with uh, Brandon Dahoud to uh, you know bind some some meta players so so the whole game plan was basically give the ball to Moray and hope he does something with it and I think uh, if you look at the attacking zones, there's a screenshot from the 35th minute that shows uh, that Dortmund had like 65% of their attacks go over the right side. Um, and I think uh, Murray got some extra praise by uh, Tessic after the game as well, where he said that uh, basically the uh, recent results have a lot to do with Murray's ascent. Matthias, explain yourself. I'm right. <laughs> uh, no, I mean... Yes, I, I've taken some shtick from you and others about my criticism of Matteo Moray at a time when he was really, really bad. And I stick I stick to those criticisms. He was really bad. He was a complete defensive liability. What's interesting is just the development he's taken since then. And I was kind of thinking about it. You know, he, he signed with Dortmund... I don't even know right now at the end of the season before last. I can't remember. But he really didn't feature much. We were like, oh, what's Moray? I mean, he's just in the second team. He's not doing much. Well, from those first matches when he did play, it, you know, what proves he was nowhere near ready to play Bundesliga-level football because in the beginning, he was really bad. Um, he's come on leaps and bounds, and I think a lot of that has to do with just the overall development of the squad under Edin Terzic. And uh, the nature in which they're playing, uh, they're less passive, they're a little bit more on the front foot, a little bit more aggressive. And I think that suits his style a little bit more because he's also less, he's not put under as much pressure in his own defensive third because he's not the most physically imposing. He's definitely not good in the air because he's, you know, like two feet tall, but the technical abilities, uh, he doesn't have Hakimi speed, but he's got a decent amount of pace about him. Uh, he has good vision with the ball, so it's kind of like a Guerrero on the other side as far as a playmaker goes. And, you know, Guerrero, it took a while for him to arrive, and Guerrero still has defensive liabilities, but that's not his strong suit. His strong suit is a playmaking fullback, and I think Matteo Moray kind of falls into that same category. It's still going to be a little bit, and our sample size of good matches is still a little short uh, or small, but it's definitely uh, trending in the right direction, and what I will now say is, you know, revising my statement that Dortmund need to look to strengthen both fullback positions, I think they just need to strengthen the left-back position as far as a quality replacement for Guerrero or backup. Nico Schulz, I was thinking about this during the game, who's also improved over the last couple of matches. If Nico Schulz would have cost 5 million euros, he actually, he actually would have been a perfect signing. He's a serviceable backup. He could jump in and do a job. For 25 million, isn't probably a little bit. That That's what skews that whole thing. And what you mentioned about uh, Tezic's tactics as far as Haaland, using Haaland to bind... Hatta, well, Hatta played into it by man marking him so tightly. So they 
it, I mean, it was the perfect storm for Dortmund. And yeah, it was, uh, it's, that's one thing I enjoy about Tezic press conferences. He actually gives you something and talks a bit about tactics and stuff like that before and after the match. Whereas, let's say, more seasoned veteran managers really don't give you much of anything. Yeah, that's true. I mean, for on, on, on Moray, uh, Tezic said that uh, he's a technically gifted player that is very calm under pressure. He has a penchant to dribble inwards with his first touch. He significantly improved his defensive positioning. There were a few issues with the timing that we needed to fix. So um, I, I think that uh, sort of uh, alludes to what you just said. Um, that, yeah, I, I think it's it was pretty obvious to, to everyone that <laughs> Moray was not good in his uh, positional timing. I mean, the uh, the amount of times his red side was just completely run over with him just standing in no man's land. Uh, it's just too damn high. So <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that uh, this uh, was a quick fix because otherwise, as you said, if, if a player makes these kinds of mistakes continuously and does not improve, uh, he just can't play in the Bundesliga. That's just not good enough at, at all. He, you know can maybe play at Schalke, but then you won't stay in the Bundesliga. So, um, yeah, it's obviously sad now that he picked up an injury and will miss the Cologne game. Uh, Tessic said today that uh, he is hoping that uh, Moray, uh, along with Guerrero and Sancho, will all return after the international break, at least return to team training. I don't know if uh, they will be all ready to play, but uh, that's that's a bit of a shame. Obviously, Mats Hummels also had to go off, I think, with a muscle injury, but uh, he should be fine for the Cologne game. And obviously, uh, Marco Royce is also doubtful for the Cologne game uh, due to that uh, really f- harsh fall by Darida. And if I remember correctly, actually got treatment on that ankle uh, before the foul. Uh, Matthias, I think the straight red card and the three-game ban are very deserved. Um, I don't know what Darida was really thinking. And it's just a shame that Marco Reus continuously throughout his career has to suffer these kinds of faults. And uh, it's apparently nothing is broken really, but uh, it's it's a very painful ordeal for him, which is why he is doubtful. Uh, I don't even know if he can get into his shoe right now or something like that. Um, how how did you see this foul and how much did you cringe when you when you saw it happen? Well, I mean, without fans in the stadium, you could definitely hear the pain in Marco Reus, uh, the screaming. And, you know, unlike Antonio Rüdiger against Atletico Madrid, <laughs> Marco Reus actually got hurt uh, and there was no play acting. Darida with a stupid foul. I mean, stupid. There was no chance he was going to get to the ball. It was lazy and dumb. Um and it's interesting because it's the foul in his reaction did, you know, there was a little bit of debate about it. I had a debate about it on Twitter with Phil Bonnie, who was actually uh, commentating on the match, as well as Kevin Hatchard, another Bundesliga commentator. And, you know, they maintain it was dumb and not malicious, given how Tarida reacted right afterwards. And if I take my emotion out of it, which they obviously could, and I couldn't in that moment, in reviewing it, I, I tend to agree. You know, Darida showed immediate remorse. It's like he did the tackle. And even before Makoroy started screaming, he was up and, and like apologizing. Like he knew what he did was idiotic. Um, and he's not, he's not known for that kind of stuff. I mean, there are, there are players in the Bundesliga over the last 10, 15 years that you know will do that kind of stuff because they're just dirty. He's not that, you know, he's not a Mach von Bommel type player 
who will just do that kind of stuff. Um, so in that case, I think the three match ban <clears throat> fits. I think all indication is Marco Royce may be even able to play before Darida is allowed to play again. And that's, I'm okay with that. I mean, there are fouls like that where part of me is like, if, if everybody was a hundred percent honest all the time in their evaluations, uh, his ban should at minimum be as long as the player who he injured is out. Now, obviously that's unrealistic. You don't do it that way because people can manipulate things. But uh, at the end of the day, I think the the ban fits the crime and Darida definitely showed enough remorse and, and uh, hopefully he won't do that, whether it's Michael Royce or somebody else, because there was no point to it. It wasn't near goal. I mean, it was just bad and definitely worth the straight red card. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there, there's not really much up for debate there. Uh, the, the the one thing we can debate is uh, obviously whether Rune Jahrstein had a good game or not. <laughs> because uh, he didn't save that swerve ball from Brandt or the uh, Flatterball, as we like to say in German. Uh, and then he was not nutmegged by Moukoko. But uh, obviously the uh, save from Jude Bellingham and uh, a couple others were uh, really outstanding. So, Matthias... Um, what can Jude Bellingham do better in that chance where he, I think, was sort of a textbook finish. He uh, put the ball to the near corner against the direction where the goalkeeper is going. And then obviously, uh, Jarstein had a good reflex and uh, his his hand sort of just uh, punched it away. But, but what do you make of Bellingham's shooting technique? Because we have criticized it before and... Uh, I might add, if he if he adds that to his game as well, is it then over for the, for the Bundesliga? Can we just uh, end the competition? And do we have the perfect midfielder then? I don't know about that. I mean, he could he could stand to grow a little bit more, but um, <laughs> I mean, he is seventeen. Well, he I'm asking this all tongue and cheek, obviously. Of obviously, um, I mean, I don't think there's anything he could have done better in that situation. When Jastein saved that one as well as the Michael Royce one shortly after. I I got I was getting annoyed. I'm like, why is it that these keepers keep having like their se- their game of the season against Dortmund? I'm thinking Robin Sentna as an example from Mainz, who just was pulling out crazy saves when he's a if I call him an average keeper, I think I'm maybe flattering him a little bit. Or even Stefan Ortega, who has a penchant to make mistakes, really didn't ha- those don't show up against Dortmund. And then, and then, of course, the Brandt shot happened. And I went, oh, yeah, that's right. Um, that, yeah, okay, perfect. So, I mean, Yasin, in that situation, it looked horrible. I mean, that was, you know, it wasn't even a knuckleball shot. You know, it wasn't, <laughs> uh, yeah, it had a little bit of swerve, but all he had to do was stand still and it would have hit him. But it's like he went out of the way. It was, it was like bullfighting. It's like he had the red... Uh, um, the red cloth and whipped it away in the last second so it can go into the goal. And it, it was, he looked, it looked really bad. Mukoko, I, I don't really blame him for that. Uh, at short, at their own posts, uh, a ball driven on the ground at pace. There are a lot of keepers who get nutmeg just because you have to plant your feet wider so you have the right stance to move and cover the, uh, the long, uh, post and you know it just just happened. Um, but that one was pretty bad. That was that was <laughs> that was really bad. Uh, but it was good for 
for Dortmund, and like Tezic said, you know, uh, it was it was good for us in that game. And also, obviously, good for Brandt, who I feel like um, really came alive after that. It, you could tell after he scored, it was like a relief for him. You know, like a weight had been lifted off his shoulders. And there was a discussion this week. I can't remember. I want to say it was on one football uh, on their Bundesliga review where one of the hosts said that, well, maybe we need to re- revise our opinion of Julian Brandt that he's a he's not going to be that spectacular player like you were maybe hoping coming from Leverkusen and maybe a very high quality very unspectacular player kind of like a Tony Kroos. Tony Kroos is not a spectacular player in the sense that you know he's not Jaden Sancho but he's very very good and so maybe maybe that's more the Julian Brandt that we're looking at for the future change our expectations I mean what do you think I don't know uh I I've seen too many impressive things by Julian Brandt to go in that direction to be honest but uh the the, the problem is that he's not showing them consistently enough but Kroos is doing so many things so much better than Julian Brandt um, I thought that Brandt had an okay game, but still not uh, a game where he impressed me really. I mean, he had to, his statistics check out with the, the pressures he had, but uh, I still think that um, Ewan Brandt can do much better than, than he's doing right now. Or maybe he can't, and that's that's the issue. Um, but yeah, it, 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 was, it was a lucky shot, obviously, um, but uh, I still like that he was included in the lineup because I thought it was the uh, right game to do that. And uh, I could see the same lineup against Cologne, for example, uh, minus Moray, obviously, who's injured. But um, I, yeah, I, I like Brandt in that position as a, as a number eight, especially next to Dahoud. Um, makes sense to me in games where you play against low block defenses. Uh, but yeah. Uh, he, I think, also had a couple of really bad first touches where uh, I think that that just a lack of focus, maybe, uh, because you know usually he is not <laughs> a fatter Eric Durm. <laughs> he has uh, to fix so many aspects of his game right now, and that's uh, yeah, it's it's really hard to see how he can do that in the long term, especially considering how good Dahoud and Bellingham are playing, and uh, Delaney will be back in the team at some point, so. Um, the struggle for Brandt really is that there's so much competition right now that uh, if he doesn't play on his highest level, uh, he really won't get too many minutes to to fix his confidence. So it's it's a difficult season for him. I think he says himself as much right now, uh, especially the uh, lack of fans is something that uh, affects him, uh, which is obviously very human. So yeah, I don't know where the journey goes for Julian Brandt. Obviously, uh, I'm really hoping that... Uh, he can be a building block in this Borussia Dortmund side, but uh, for that to happen, he needs to improve a bit. But uh, obviously, it's nice to have him on the score sheet. I mean, it's just the second goal of the season, uh, and we're having a, a match day. What was it, 25? Uh, that needs to improve 100%, because Julian Brandt uh, can score more goals and uh, provide more assists. So, um, yeah, but it's nice, really nice to see him on the, on the score sheet again. Also, um, considering <laughs> uh, the uh, play in which he scored I think it was the right decision because I don't think he really had any passing options to have him made cut off sort of all passing options without really attacking him and uh, if you allow a professional footballer to sort of lay up his own shot and then follow it up with the actual shot 
um, chances are there's going to be a very dangerous ball coming toward you and uh, the fact that it was a bit windy and uh, that it dipped very late in front of Bjarstein, uh, um, yeah, made the, the chance likely to go in, I think, you know, uh, and for for Dortmund to unlock Hertha that way, I'll I'll take it. I mean, they had plenty of chances to score otherwise, but somehow they just didn't. I mean, I think Reus even had the clanger free kick against the crossbar, uh, but I think Jaschein would have had it if it had uh, gone lower. So, um, yeah, for Dortmund, the, the perfect can opener, and obviously uh, the Mokoko goal then later was was just awesome, right? I, I mean, the the amount of pace Mokoko has to, to shoot this ball and uh, the perseverance um, for a 16-year-old uh, to score his third goal of the season like this, um, it's uh, pretty fantastic. So um, yeah, I think I I read the stat that uh, next to uh, Haaland and uh, Sancho, he now has the most goals scored of uh, all Dortmund players. I mean, he's like tied with Hazard, but uh, no one else has scored more than three. Also, Hummels hasn't scored more than three. So um, yeah, that's very positive for Dortmund. Also, the first and time I think he was brought on when Dortmund were not trailing. As <laughs> I, I was gonna say, I think this is his first goal in a win. So, you know, that's, that's, that's fantastic. And congratulations to him. He's been nominated for Germany's under 21s mm-hmm. at 16. And I'm pretty sure he's going to start because, yeah, he's that good. I, I think in a year or two, uh, whoever, you know, when Hansi Flick is German national team coach, <laughs> uh, he'll, he'll be, uh, called up for the seniors. I, think that's the direction he's heading really quickly. Yeah, I just hope that uh, Flick treats his uh, players nicer than he treats his sporting directors. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe Yeah, but it's Pratso. I mean, who cares? <laughs> that's me. Uh, but yeah. Um, yeah, seeing more minutes from Mokoko is obviously uh, an uh, enticing uh, ordeal, so I'm uh, definitely going to try to find a stream here in the United States. Uh, however, I'll be able to do that. Maybe it's on ESPN three, even I don't know. Um, but Matthias, I, I would assume ESPN plus would be my assumption. They've done it before, so I can see them doing it again. Yeah, I mean it's it's the Euros, right? It's the under twenty one Euros. They start right with that, don't they? Uh, yes, and I think this month, <laughs> next week. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, they've got like their the first round is taking place now in a matter of like three, four days at the end of March. And then the knockout round, I believe, is in May or June. Some, it's, it's a funky format. I actually think it's a smart format because that way you spread it out a little bit more um, uh, given COVID and everything. So, yeah, I, I think the international break will actually have some football that I care about. <laughs> yeah, uh, who, who knew? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be uh, obviously difficult with the international break we uh, don't know whether bellingham uh will go to the uh english national team with a, because uh don't want just to know whether they get their players back you know same with the uh, central bodies out now anyway because uh what if they come back from uh international break and have to go into a 14-day quarantine you know yeah that's, and sock said if they have to go in quarantine we will not let them go yeah he said that Absolutely, without blinking today in the press conference, he said, if they have to go into quarantine, they are not allowed to go. And I think that's only fair. And they are within their rights. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how, how that uh, legally works, to be honest, whether the club can say that or not say that. Um, it's, uh, I believe they can. 
I believe they can during Corona because he alluded to it last week or the week before that they are within their rights to do so. If during Corona regulations, this would happen, they could do that. And so that's why I think he can say it so adamantly. He didn't, he wasn't so adamant about Guerrero because there it's a little bit more open. I think with the UK, it's pretty cut and dry as of today. So he was able to say it as cut and dry as he did. Yeah, I'm just praying that Guerrero is not going to the Portuguese national team because he right now has an injury and there's a long history, complicated history between Dortmund and the Portuguese national team and Guerrero playing basically more for the Portuguese national team and then returning with an injury because uh, I don't know what's going on with their team doctors. Maybe uh, they have changed since then, but uh, there was a period where uh, Dortmund basically just uh, lost Guerrero with every international break. And that was very painful because he is a very good player. So, um, yeah, I hope there are no more shenanigans in that regard. Speaking of shenanigans, Matthias, uh, match day 25 was uh, quite the blessing for Dortmund because Bayer Leverkusen had some shenanigans against Arminia Bielefeld. Um, a 2-1 loss at home to the team that had the worst away record before <laughs> this match day. Apparently an away record even worse than Schalke, which I find very hard to believe, uh, to be honest. But uh, this is what happened. And obviously Eintracht Frankfurt drew 1-1 away to RB Leipzig, which means Dortmund are now two points away from fourth spot. Uh, VfL Wolfsburg obviously uh, had the... <laughs> At the dead rubber game, uh, the automatic win game, because they clubbed Schalke 5-0. So, yeah, that's still six points away from third place. But, Matthias, obviously uh, Dortmund still play against uh, Leipzig, Wolfsburg and Frankfurt. And even Leverkusen and Union Berlin. So, basically everyone uh, from the top seven, uh, minus Bayern. (laughs) And Stuttgart still, right? Uh, Yeah, and Stuttgart. I think... Yeah, so I mean, aside from Bayern, like you said, it's the entire top eight uh, Dortmund still have to play against. And and that's where my argument was on Twitter, where people were like, oh, we're going to have to root for Leipzig against Frankfurt because it helps Dortmund. I mean, I'm sorry, you just can't. There's no, you physically and emotionally cannot root for the drink franchise from Leipzig. There's just no, I don't care if it's to the detriment of Dortmund can't root for it because also Dortmund has it all in their own hands. They're playing against every team just above them and just below them. I mean, it's really all the three above them and all the three below them. Dortmund still has to play against this season. So it is all in their hands. So they don't need Leipzig's help. And I would turn it down every time. Yes. April will uh, be quite the month for Dortmund, obviously. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I, I feel like this this one week here between uh, <laughs> Berlin and Cologne is like a bit of a, I don't know, I feel like the tension has fallen off. I, I hope that's not true for Dortmund themselves. It's just true for me because I've done pretty much nothing in regards to football this week and uh, had my focus con- entirely elsewhere. So uh, I, I feel like people can can hear it <laughs> the way I'm trying to bullshit my, myself through this episode. But Matthias, um, I, I still find it very funny that Leverkusen right now are in sixth place and a Peter Bosch side is losing to Arminia Bielefeld. Because if we remember when uh, Favre was fired and Tessic was installed as his replacement, uh, Peter Bosch and Bayer Leverkusen uh, gained first position in the Bundesliga. So um, I find it interesting that... Um, Good old Bayer Leverkusen, who I actually expected to go on a run now, 
after beating uh, Gladbach 1-0. And then I think in the next games, they also play like uh, Schalke and Berlin and all the other uh, lower-ranked teams in the Bundesliga. Um, so it's, it's quite a surprise, but also not a surprise that Leverkusen bottled it this way. And I must say, Bielefeld, the counterattacks they played, they played really well, but... Uh, you know, at the same time, Leverkusen just must defend better. So, uh, thank you, I guess, is, is what And, what, what and Ortega. Say. Ortega had some brilliant saves. Uh, I mean, uh, Leverkusen, yeah, they're on a free fall, which is kind of interesting to watch. Uh, it's not something I expected. And I think putting all the blame on Bosch isn't fair, but there's a good chance that uh, this may be his last season at the Bayer Arena. Yeah, we will see. And obviously, uh, we put basically Berlin now, or they put themselves, really. I mean, Berlin only have themselves to blame for, for this abject performance uh, on the uh, relegation spot. Mainz beating Freiburg means they are now, uh, they're still on a direct relegation spot, but uh, at least they're level on points with Hertha. With Both have 21 points. And above that are Bielefeld and Cologne with 22 points. So, um, yeah, it's going to be an intriguing relegation fight. The only thing that's decided really is uh, who is first and who is last, I think. I mean, Bayern are four points ahead of Leipzig, but I don't really think they're going to uh, throw this uh, championship away, I'll be honest. And, yeah, Schalke, obviously, the the deadest team of all teams (laughs) ever. Um, I mean, they were... Schalke players are cramping, like, starting at around the 60th minute, apparently. Their the fitness staff is just horrendous. And I, I think they, they even, didn't they fire the athletic start somewhere uh, this season and, and hired the, the Felix Magat guy? I don't know. They fired so many people this season. It's really <laughs> hard to keep track. I mean, That's true. the amount of severance pay that Schalke is dishing out after this season, during the season... Uh, it de- definitely doesn't help their financial situation. I mean, if we honestly, they should have just stuck with David Wagner. I think at this point, David Wagner would have gotten them, you know, another win, maybe. Uh, I don't know, but they definitely would have saved a ton of money. Definitely. I mean, I've I've uh, read today that their uh, budget for the second Bundesliga will be thirty million. So that's that's not a lot. I don't know how how budgets go in, in the second division, but. Uh, Considering where Schalke are coming from, <laughs> if you look at the last five years, um, that's that's really not a lot. So um, good luck with that. So I say. Uh, in the meantime, Dortmund today announced uh, the signing of uh, Sumelai Koulibaly, a French defender from PSG. He will sign a five-year contract. He's 17 years old and he arrives at Dortmund with the uh, torn ACL. That's obviously um, another signing for the future. He said in the official press release i'm absolutely delighted at the prospect of playing for such a tradition steeped club (laughs) i'm grateful for the training i received at paris saint-germain but i believe this move is the best step for me and he added i had offers from other clubs but once i had spoken to management at borussia dortmund i immediately knew this was the right club for me i can't wait to get started at my new club According to Spock's PSG sporting director, Leonardo tried to offer him a three-year professional deal because so far he only had a non-professional deal with them and uh, hence Dortmund only have to compensate PSG for their player development and uh, pay a transfer fee and Koulibaly is one meter 90 tall and he is left-footed, so a bit like Zagadou, maybe not the absolute unit and his nickname is Zumi. 
So, Matthias, what are you making of this deal of the uh, 17-year-old prospect from PSG? Well, I mean, Dortmund are taking a little bit of a risk because an ACL injury, as someone who has had an ACL injury, is not uh, something you trifle with. The advantage he has is 17 years old. So, you know, you you're going to recover much quicker. I think having someone like uh, Zagadou there, I I mean, maybe he also spoke with Diallo, uh, who is at PSG, to kind of get a feel for Borussia Dortmund. It makes sense. Dortmund, uh, obviously, with players like Holland going there, that's a big deal. Sancho, Bellingham, and so on, that he can see that this is a, a club that can help him achieve the next level because they'll actually play him. PSG, he just won't get the time. I mean, they may have loaned him somewhere in France, but this is a more secure spot for him. And, you know, for Dortmund, if he doesn't pan out, I'm pretty sure there are clauses in there that have to do with the with insurance and with injuries. It's not like he's going to make a ton of money. And it's just another one of those youth prospects uh, or very talented young players to add to the mix like uh, the player from Ajax, whose name I always forget <laughs> that they signed um, not too long ago, the 16-year-old. So these are players for the future. And my assumption is, you know, train with the first team, play with the second team at the beginning of next season, depending on how his injury rehab goes. And then we'll just kind of see. I mean, it's a nice sign that he's picking Dortmund over even staying at PSG. So, yeah, I mean, it's kudos to Dortmund. I, I like Dortmund getting those talents. I don't want Dortmund to continuously have the reputation as a development club because at some point you just become Southampton <laughs> and that's not what Borussia Dortmund is and that's not what Borussia Dortmund is striving to be. But obviously this is also in a financial plan. You know, I mean, Sancho didn't cost a lot of money. He's going to bring in a ton of money. Holland, he wasn't cheap, but he's going to bring in a lot more than he cost. And Bellingham the same way and then Gio Reyna and so on. Pulisic, obviously we saw that. So this it fits that mold while Dortmund are also adding players that are more established veteran and quality as well. So if you balance that out, I think it's a it's a great step forward for both player and club. Well, in general, I'm hoping that he will have more health in his career than, than Axel Zagadou because Zagadou has been injured a lot recently and uh, that's really hampered his prospects because I think Zagadou could be much further in his uh, development than he is right now because he's been held back by all these injuries uh, you, you always see when Zagadou plays what kind of player he, he can become but I mean I think he's either 21 or 22 already and uh, he could be on a much higher level I feel like he's still a bit in the uh, prospect category but uh, other players at his age um already made it much further and are way more established so um that's obviously a bit of a shame uh, <laughs> and i don't know how much of a fight there will be between Koulibaly and Zagadou because they're both left-footed they're both sort of playing for the same position i also don't know what the plans for Dortmund uh, for Zagadou are at, at Dortmund obviously uh, there will be some turmoil at the centre-back position in, in the near future. I mean, Hummels can play forever. I don't know whether Akanji is going to leave soon. Um, and obviously Zagadou um, right now, I don't know if, if Dortmund are confident in him to, uh, to to be a regular starter for the future. I don't I don't know. So um, obviously Koulibaly is a nice signing and uh, maybe he'll make it, maybe he won't. 
we don't know that yet, but uh, Dortmund, I think, will need to sign some more established centre-backs in the future, which obviously then will uh, dictate where Koulibaly is going. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm uh, intrigued to see how he turns out. Obviously, he'll play for the under-19 and the under-23 for now. Uh, similar deal that we saw with Bayern Gittens. I think there was a bit of a complaint by Leonardo that Dortmund's uh, and, and Bayern and Leipzig are sort of just speaking to the families instead of uh, to the clubs to attract those talents and soaks that nope it's the other way around it's the families that approach us because uh, they have a feeling that their players their their youngsters can actually uh, make it at, at Dortmund uh, opposed to PSG so um interesting little uh, back and forth and and can I add something there I think it would behoove any official associated with Paris Saint-Germain to never speak about morality and ethics just a little sidebar there yeah no yeah I I I, th- I think uh we, we can end the uh, Koulibaly segment on that part. Uh, Matthias, because Dortmund are playing against Cologne, and that is a team that uh, they could not beat in the home game because uh, set pieces. <laughs> so uh, what are we making of Dortmund's game in Cologne? Because obviously, uh, like Hertha, Cologne will apply a very low block. And uh, I don't know, I, th- I think their, their game plan, their attack going forward is a bit more praying you know, and hoping for set pieces, maybe Marius Wolf can deflect a couple more balls or so. Um, what have Dortmund to do better this time to beat Cologne minus set piece defending? Or is that it? Is that all, all Dortmund need to do? Well, better set piece defending well, I mean, if you win it. If if you look at the first match, if if you take out the set pieces, that was kind of one of those matches where Dortmund should have won it. I mean, they they weren't outplayed by Cologne. I, I always say the, the match against Augsburg Dortmund deserved to lose that one. Köln, they didn't deserve to lose it in the sense of beyond the two set pieces. Köln did very little. I expect even less from Köln this time around because Köln are also in a free fall. Uh, I mean, it's only been a few weeks ago when it was nobody even mentioned them in regards to a relegation fight, and they are right in the middle of it. And Gistoy, it's reported that if they lose to Borussia Dortmund, he's out. That never bodes well for playing well in a game like that because the pressure is high on the coach. It's not really high on the players, but it's high on the coach. And and that's that's the thing there. I mean, make sure you know where Skiri is. I, th- I think that would, that would really benefit Dortmund on set pieces. Don't give up stupid set pieces. Play like you did against Hatta. Hatta didn't have a single corner. I don't even know if they had a free kick in Dortmund's third. If you can play like that, if you can eliminate that and not do the stupid foul in your final third, I'm looking right at you, Emre Can, then you're not going to have those issues because outside of that, there's just not a ton there for Köln. And I think they're looking at it more of, Let's just not lose this game versus win it. If they happen to do a smash and grab and get something out of it as ter- in terms of a win, great. But that's not what they're banking on. So I expect it to be maybe a little bit less passive than Hatta because you can't really be more passive than Hatta, <laughs> I think. But it's not going to be, you know, significantly more than Hatta. So uh, I think in, in Dortmund are full of confidence. They're playing better. They've learned to deal with a low block uncomfortable and uncomfortable teams which Köln is both better than they were just 6 months ago. So my confidence is higher. 
I still think Cohn could cause problems if set pieces do exist, even though it feels like Dortmund have, are doing a little bit better there. Not, not worlds better, but they haven't conceded the same goal twice in a game for at least a few weeks. So uh, I think this is one where Dortmund brimming with confidence can go into it with that confidence and kind of right the ship and do the old, you know, speech of we owe them from the last time. Whereas Köln's coach, you know, Gisdo would be more like, please guys show up so I don't get fired today. <laughs> yeah, I think the key stat um, from the Hertha game, I mean, there are several key sets, but that I would like to see in a similar vein against Cologne is a possession set where Dortmund had 72%. Obviously, you can get sucker punched when the other team only has 28%. We've all seen that and these upset wins. But uh, in general, I think... Dortmund really minimize the risk if they just keep the ball for longer stretches of the game and keep it away from Cologne. So they don't even get to really start any counters or win set pieces in dangerous areas. In this part of the season, I don't really care if Dortmund, you know, entertain everyone to the fullest extent. I just want a win as dirty as possible, to be honest. And if, if that means they play a lot of keep ball and uh, make this a, a boring affair and then score the one or two chances they, they, they get or, or even more, that's fine by me, to be honest. And uh, I must say, the game against Hertha was not a chance festival, but at the same time, they could have uh, put this game to bed much sooner as well. And maybe against Cologne, they, they do a better job. I mean, for, for <laughs> starters, they finally had a full week to recover and uh, recuperate. And I think that that really helps Dortmund. Um, against this Cologne team. I think Tessic warned a little bit that uh, what Cologne do well is that they do not play low block for like 90 minutes, that they have some phases of pressing in there, which they showed against uh, Bayern and Union Berlin. Um, but yeah, uh, right now Cologne are not a really good team. I mean, I think they have the third worst uh, attack in the Bundesliga. I think they've only scored 23 goals. Uh, Arminia... Bielefeld have scored 20 and Schalke have scored 16. And their defensive woes are also right on point. They have uh, conceded 44 goals, which is the same amount of uh, goals that Mainz and Arminia Bielefeld have conceded. Um, only Hertha and Schalke are worse in that regard. Hertha have scored, uh, conceded 45 goals and Schalke, obviously. Matthias, how else could it be? 66 goals after 25 match days. And Schalke now have the uh, very nice and round goal difference of minus 50 <laughs> so um that's uh, all you need to know about Schalke but um yeah Cologne uh, not really a, a side that's Im impressing uh, with any sort of football I can't I can't remember a Cologne game where I was like huh they're playing some interesting uh, intriguing football here it's Gistol ball I mean I mean think about it in the last five matches Cologne has gotten one point yes Against Bremen, which was lucky. Yes. Mainz got eight in that same time period. Uh, the last time Köln won was at the beginning of February against Gladbach, which is a whole other topic <laughs> uh, that obviously we are keeping a clo close eye on. Um, and, and apparently Marco Rose is also in an Endspiel, but it's against Schalke. So it's almost like it's like uh, Gladbach and Eberl are doing the reverse. They're like, okay, well... If we can't beat Schalke, then okay, fine. Then you really got to go. Whereas if Gisto loses to Dortmund, that's kind of expected. So it's almost like the Köln hierarchy went, this is our way of getting rid of them without looking like the bad guy. And that's really what it feels like. I mean, Köln are in a, in a form 
that they will get relegated if they don't change things dramatically. Uh, and dramatically means Peter Neurohrer, obviously. If you're right, I'm just glad that uh, they will fire him after the game and not before, because I think that's always a little awkward if there's a coaching change just before the Dortmund game uh, from the opposition, because then a lot of your prep work goes out the window. I mean, it wouldn't matter if it's at Schalke because they change their coaches every five minutes and they don't have a plan to begin with. Um, but uh, for Cologne, I, th I think there are some okay players in there that uh, some tactical changes could actually make an effect on this team. So, um, yeah, it's it's obviously kind of sad because I don't really want teams like Cologne to go to the second Bundesliga. Uh, I think they are a great value for the Bundesliga. So uh, in that regard, I'd rather have uh, Mainz and Hertha go down, but uh, that's not how it's looking right now. Um, yeah, it's it's also not really a team where I I can uh, with confidence say, well, this is exactly where the goals are coming from. I mean, they they signed Anderson from Union Berlin because Schalke couldn't afford him, <laughs> uh, because uh, Schalke got uh, a loan f or 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 some or, or credit from from uh, the federal state, not Rhein-Westphalia, but. Uh, in order to afford Anderson from Union Berlin, they needed to sell someone, but they missed the deadline on that. So uh, he's now playing for Cologne. But the problem is that I think Sebastian Anderson has only scored two goals thus far because he's been injured uh, for for long stretches of the season. So um, yeah, right now their uh, most prolific goal scorer is uh, Rex Bichai. Um Yeah, so yeah, I guess watch out for him. And uh, Schiri is an okay player, uh, Duda. I th I thought he was an okay player for Hertha now at at Cologne. Uh, he has three goals and four assists. It's an okay Duda season, but it's not like he is, uh, um, yeah, the 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 great playmaker some people thought he was going to be. And then obviously you have uh, Marius Wolf, who I think recently played as a right back, which uh, apparently did not end too well. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's it's going to be an interesting game. Uh, because Dortmund need to once again uh, play against the opponent with a low block and, and see how, how they fare and uh, whether they confirm what you just said that Dortmund can uh, adapt against these opponents better now because that's that's really, um, you know, these kinds of games that, that Dortmund need to pick up all points from now. There's no margin for error. Anywho, enough about Cologne, Matthias. Uh, what do you think will the scoreline be at the end of the day? I think uh, kind of similar to Hatza. Uh, I, I I feel comfortable saying a 2-0 victory for Borussia Dortmund against Köln. Well, I'll say this. If Marco Reus is back, um, then I think it's going to be a 3-0 win um, because uh, he likes to play against Cologne and uh, he has uh, shown some Im Im improvement in that regard against low-block teams and uh, he has had so many chances recently, uh, I think, uh, in the next game against such a team, uh, something will go in. Uh, obviously, I must say that Akanji is on four yellow cards because he's back uh, and and could play. Uh, I don't know if he will. Uh, is, is this something you would do? I, we we haven't really discussed Dortmund's lineup. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think... I think you could. I think you could because Köln isn't going to press you high and put you under a ton of pressure for most of the match. So it might be a good match fitness game in that aspect, or you bring him on later. I, I would like to see him in Zagadu on the pitch at some point, also to give Hummels and Chan a bit of exactly. a rest. Whether it's from the beginning or not, obviously I don't know, um, given that he just returned. 
But Köln is the kind of opponent I would rather see him start and get some, you know, shake the rust off against Köln than against Eintracht Frankfurt or VfB Stuttgart, which are going to be significantly more difficult matches. Yeah, uh, that being said, I, I don't think Emre Can has uh, done too bad of a job at, in this position. I, I thought that was also very solid. So I don't know if uh, Tessic will uh, change the centre-back position because uh, that's something you don't usually do. Um, Meunier and Schulz, I think, are set. And uh, then I don't know if we'll have Dahoud. Bellingham and Brandt or whether Delaney rotates back in and then obviously uh yeah, I don't know if Reina starts instead of Royce. Uh or maybe maybe even start Mokoko next to uh, instead of Royce. I don't know. I, I think I think he is he's ready for that level. Every time he comes on he's showing that. So um yeah, I wouldn't have uh, too many problems. The 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 real problem for Dortmund is that uh, too many key players are injured right now. I mean Guerrero Moray are out, then Sancho is out. Um And uh, yeah, Witzel also out. Uh, I don't think we'll see too many surprises in the lineup. And uh, probably, you know, after not scoring against Hertha, Haaland will probably add another brace or a hat-trick or something crazy like that uh, before the international break. So, Matthias, um, yeah, without any further ado, I think we can knock it on the head unless you have anything left to say on all these subjects. If not. No, I'm good. All right. Then, uh, yeah, please tell our listeners where to find you on the internet and then I'll do the outro. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Matthiasuk. Very well. And you can find me at Stefan Butzko on Twitter. You can find all of us at Yellow Wallpot on Twitter and Facebook. If you want to subscribe to this show, please do that via YouTube, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, etc. And of course, if you want to contribute financially, then go to patreon.com slash the yellow wall where you can sponsor an episode or subscribe to our paywalled written content, even though there's not much in recent weeks. I apologize. I'll try to ramp that up again. And yeah, I don't know if if there will be uh, an international break podcast, maybe one or two. I don't know uh, because I'm a bit busy right now. But uh, if there is, I'm sure there are several listener questions. And of, of course, there are plenty of transfer rumors to discuss whether we'll actually see Haaland go to Chelsea for Timo Werner. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, As always, thank you for listening and goodbye.